0: What's up, traders? Anthony Cordelli here, and thank you for tuning in to the Futures Radio Show podcast. Today's panel discussion is how to trade volatility like the pros. My guests are Jem Carson and Jimmy Jude. Jem is the founder and senior managing partner of Kai Volatility Advisors. Jimmy is a former floor trader and is now an independent futures and options trader. Today's podcast is sponsored by TradeStation. If you're a serious futures trader and you want a powerful platform to match your skills, enjoy flexibility and trading power with TradeStation's award-winning platform. Learn more at tradestation.com slash Anthony. Now let's bring in, let's bring in the guys. We got Jeb and Jimmy, man. It's a big show. What's up,
1: man? How are you? Thanks I'm for doing, doing, I'm doing 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 great. having us. Thanks for having
0: us, man. We got Florida up top, and we got Chicago down below. We're, we're ex-Chicagoans. We we, we, we we moved to the to the to the uh, to the sunny side. I know, you're sure, you know
2: I got the beard. I was saying you guys got got the tans. Uh, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're brave to have stayed in Chicago
1: all this time. Like I, I don't know how you do it.
2: Uh, it's... Well, golden golden handcuffs go a long way. No, I love the city. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll be honest. Uh, this is you know, listen at least during the eight months but when, it's, when it's great, uh, weather it's the best place on the planet. Uh, I'll deal with a little <laughs> cold weather here and there. That's no, you're,
0: yeah. you're right. You're right. The
1: summer is the
2: best.
0: Appreciate yeah, September is my favorite month there. The air and water show when I used to live <laughs> on the lake was the best, man. Go out there and sure. just chill the whole day. It was great. Um, so we all, all three of us come from the trading floor. We've all moved our way to electronic trading uh, um, early on for, for all of us as well, too. And the, the two things, the things that you guys do that's very different from me is I'm just an outright futures trading uh, guy, uh, trading the ES uh, and some other products, but you guys trade vol, you guys trade options. And I think that, you know, that's gonna be the focus of today's conversation because you guys are two of the best that I know at this. And I think that I wanna start off with, just real quick, maybe you, uh, Jen, talk about what trading vol is, right? Because I think a lot of people hear it and I think they, probably don't even know what it means.
2: Yeah. My view on it is a little different than maybe if you ask other mall guys, I, I don't think ball is an asset class. A lot of people refer to it as an asset class or a thing that they trade. Um, ball for me is the distribution of every underlying asset out there. It's the, it's a much more flexible way to bet on different outcomes for any asset class, not just up or down, right? Uh, most bonds, stocks, commodities, you buy them or you sell them, uh, you know, what options allow you to do is they allow you to uh, to buy any point of the distribution in time or money miss uh, regarding, you know, as it relates to any asset class. So, for me, trading ball is, is trading uh, probabilities and distributions on any asset class. So, that sounds scary, um, but really it's just a f- nice, flexible way to bet on what information you have more specifically. Um, it's a very flexible uh, way of betting
0: what do you think about uh trading vol, Jimmy?
1: Well, I can't beat that, you know. Um, but for really trading vol for me is um you know, it's 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 trading the temperature of the market. You know, I, I I look at it more from a traders like um, you know, price action standpoint. So, you know, Vol, vol to me is is, you know, it's 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 a measure of, of fear or complacency in the market that I can and I can bet directionally um, on, on whatever instrument I'm, 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 I'm or underlying that I'm trading, and, 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 and use like superior um, risk management skills um, by using options. Um, so it's, um, it's 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 you know it's it's a way to it's it's two things. You know it's it's a way for me to trade the market um, and control risk, but it's also I look out on the tea leaves of, of the vol markets to be able to, you know, kind of take the temperature of certain markets as
0: well. So let's talk about that, Jim. What is the current temperature of the market? What are you seeing out there?
2: Yeah, just to one second, Bill, on what Jimmy's saying, which I completely agree with, is this flexibility that allows you to look um, at different points of the distribution I was referring to, allow you to see a much more detailed view of what positioning is like. It's not just are people long or short it, but are they short the link? Are they are they hedged into they? Are they getting longer into a draw? Those types of details give you much better sense of uh, of fear in the sense of, of of how much people need to hedge, how much they need to be protected at what levels. And then to add one more layer to that, that positioning too doesn't just give you a, a, a sense of fear. But that positioning itself can reflexively affect outcomes in a major way. And I think that's that kind of dealer position piece we talk so much about. So kind of taking that and now running with it to your question, uh, Anthony, is, you know, the, the current state of the market is much less hedged on the index level than it has been uh, for the last year. Um, as we started out the year, I was very vocal uh, that a decline was likely coming, but that it was likely a well-hedged. Decline, and that's what we saw this year. Uh, a lot of people like are scratching their head. Was the mix broken? What's happening? Why is the vol not moving? The reason it was is because skew and in the indexes was uh, at the 98 99th percentile coming into this decline. It was broadly telegraphed uh, by the Fed that they were raising rates. People were hedging, hedging the place with the greatest liquidity, which is S and P, and broadly where they they thought it would work best. Because why? Because that's where it worked best most recently in Fed March twenty twenty. Um, and, and people thought that they would be well hedged for something that would be a bigger decline. Well, that led to a different type of decline, so you know, two steps down, one steps up, one step up, implied ball compress where everybody, everybody's hedges were underperforming and people were forced to then sell their hedges, which forces a reflex in realized vol compression, more uh, decline vol, more pain, more vol selling, et cetera, until skew got to its terminus here at the zero percentile, and that's where we've been for a while at the index level. Um, these cycles happen again and again, you know, it's almost like a sign curve with, you know, varying intervals, but you know, August 15, we had yuan devaluation, evaluation, massive ball events. skew was, uh, underpriced, underpriced was underpriced. Positioning was bad. And you had an explosion that was uh, on ball basis, much higher, uh, than, than you usually get, which led to step 16 underperformance. Cause then all the short sellers were gone. Everybody's everybody who made money on the vault, started inside and piled in against high yield debt. And you actually have a big decline where ball um, massively underperformed, and then same thing in eight, early eighteen. You, after a lot ball selling, hey, why would I ever be long ball? And it would have been cut sixteen. It led to XIV blowout ball events, which then led to late eighteen underperformance. Off the D stair steps down, big moves, but not a ball event, and, and vice versa. So this keeps going on. Here we are at the bottom of that cycle. Uh, people have abandoned ball. It hasn't worked. Um, people who hedge their equity with equity ball um, have, have largely been taken out. Ball funds are being liquidated at the end of this uh, year. You know, we're at the end of this year. I can name a couple. I won't. Um, and and that probably leads to a, a situation where people now under hedge. So um, it, it, it's never as easy as just, oh, it's, you know, now we're here, we're here in the cycle. It's going to happen in the next three months. But there is a general trend. These things are. And that speaks to the positioning out there at the index level. So I think I think that's um, you know the the fear index. And people are uh, a bit complacent on the equity bull side of things. Um, that said, uh, they are particularly on the retail's more speculative side. Uh, and I'm really talking about index. Uh, you know, when I talk about index options, I'm talking about institutions on the retail, more speculative side of things. You can actually see the opposite now. All the tech name puts are. Uh, bid and, and calls are offered, and book call ratios are are kind of that aligned. And uh, I think that that's kind of very telling. We get into that as the show goes on, but uh, I think it's very telling about know, the type of decline we want to see, and where it'll be most focused, and how this will play out.
0: So, a couple of things before I go to you, Jimmy. I just want because uh, I, I think we got a lot of newer people in here. Uh, and I don't think everybody probably understands what skew is when you explain ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent and then back to 0%, because you just give a quick explanation about skew. Jim. Oh, I thought you
2: were asking. See, we got Jim and Jen, so I'm. I'm yeah, I know. Jim <laughs> and Jim. <laughs> um, Jimmy's probably better at, at, at you know, simplifying this stuff than I am sometimes. I have a, I have a hard time. Uh, I get too mathy, but. But skew, I'll try and do my best. Skew is um, downside uh, implied vol uh, levels relative to upside or at the money, depending on how you look at it. So in the uh, options, broadly equity options, you have a, a left tail skew. So downside protection is more expensive than upside, and it priced at a higher implied vol. Uh, and uh, historically, it's highest in the S&P 500 because that's where people need to hedge the most. There's a supply and demand imbalance. And the world is long. If you, have a job. You have a home. You're you're long, right? Uh, regardless of anything, you, you you sleep, breathe, eat. You're long, and so at the end of the day, people have to hedge to the downside, and that causes a higher and a skew to equity fall. The yeah. the,
1: <clears throat> the disturbing part of this is that you know what what Gem is describing is that you know they're they're flattening out vol skew across the board, meaning that you know, puts are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. The reason the skew was there is because, you know, no one really wants to sell a cheap put because, you know, in one day that, you know, you, you stock market can go down 20%. You can, you know, we can have a crash either. You know, everyone is inherently long stocks. So like those are always, it's, 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 this is such a strange event to see like them take the, the wind out of puts, um, downside puts like they did this year. But then again, that's kind of like the way markets behave, you know, um, when you have a hedge on and you saw that on every sell-off, every sell-off this year was kind of like a controlled demolition. Like, and, and like Jim was saying is because we were all hedged. We could, you know, they gave us cheap hedges on the pops. And then when we sold off, we were hedged, but we never really got that like ripper of a vol where, you know, you you had that explosion and it's because everyone had inventory, you know, but the problem now is from what I'm hearing is that, you know, these guys have taken, you know, they've, they've been frustrated for a year. So they're abandoning really like a, a logical type of position. And they're and they're, you know, and, and, and this is just a tinderbox. You know, this is this doesn't this can't last. Right. This is eventually, you know, you're going to pull the wings are going to blow up on you and spreads are going to come, you know, are, are going to be affected. Structures are going to be affected, flies, you know, everything is going to be affected by this, um, you know, and it's like it's probably going to, you know, we'll probably blame it on something, uh, some other event, but it'll really be this. That'll be the catalyst for something, a, a big move this year, I, I
2: would assume. I, I agree with that. I mean, again, uh, even things that are so obviously a macro driven spark, right, like COVID. Mm-hmm. Um you know I talked about this before but we knew about covid late december early january the market continued to rally through january all the way up until fed expiration fed options right. expiration mark and go look at a calendar the day of the top of the covid crash and the bottom was march opex um, literally opex to opex was the right. 29% decline um yeah. that's not a coincidence uh but there was open. massive short mark, you know ex, uh, Exposure in the March quarterly expiration, people were hedged in the in the February expiration. Uh, once the Fed rolled off, they they took all the the, the hedges out. People didn't re hedge. I uh, give them they gave up on this idea that oh I guess you know there's something wrong going on here. And eventually that the impending decline created you know ball explosion and, and a lot of pain, which caused uh, you know bigger and bigger declines. um to The point that the Jimmy's making is, is incredibly important. It's not. It's not necessarily the spark or the the major cause, but, but without this you know this tinderbox, as you said, you know you can't get these outsized outcomes right. um, because there's again there's this reflexive supporting like we saw you know action like we saw this year. So the, the the environment has changed from last year, but the geopolitical piece hasn't, and I think that's important to note. The spark is still there, but now the tinderbox is back full of, of, of tinder. Right. So is, uh,
0: basically what you guys are saying is that now the market actually, if an event were to occur, we're, we are now more likely to see a capitulation type move because of the way the positioning now is in in uh, the options market. Am I accurate in saying that? Yeah, because it's,
1: it's, it's like a cascading effect. You know, if you yeah. start going down there and these guys are in hedged and, and they are, they're actually short, like the really wingy stuff. And then that, now that stuff starts going <laughs> that jumps alive and you've got, not only do you have movement, but then you can have the skew comes ripping back, you know, um, against the, at the money. And now you've got a double, you got, you got a quadruple issue on your hands and, and you're, that leads to a, probably, you know, a liquidity event. And then, and then, and then, you know, it cascades from there. So it's really, is you know, a lot of this is about positioning it, you know, um, and then, and then, and, and, and I mean, geez, you know, you know, how many matches are out there right now that, that could light this, t- <laughs> light this box too, you know what I mean? There's plenty, There's plenty.
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely agreed. And, and uh, like Jimmy alluded to it, you have this lack of positioning, so you're going to have more people having to run out the door at the same time. But the, there's, a, there's a secondary and, and, and probably more obvious effect, which is when skews high, there's just more potential energy for it to explode and go higher, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When something you normally pay 10 cents on uh, can go to a dollar, that, that's a lot of convexity. But it, when it's worth a penny and can go to a dollar, that's a lot more. And that can cause a lot more pain. Yeah. And that can cause um, just a, a much more uh, of a liquidity event. And, and uh, I think that word liquidity is so important particularly when you get into this kind of tail type environment, there's just not much liquidity to market with this free fall and feed upon itself and, and can you know, cause all kinds of problems. We've seen that again. again.
1: again. The hard, the hard and part is it's t- not there it's timing is right? When you say like the, the like when you see a moment like this and the hard part is like, as you can see this, the slow moving train, it's timing, timing a move like this because you, you know, you can see something like this and still get, and, and you know this could be six nine months away, and and you could get tortured, you know, for for a while still. So that's a one question I would ask is, what what you know as a trader, what kind of like tea leaves or what kind what, what do you look for that starts to tell you oh you know this is this this is starting this, some energy is starting to be released in this other you know against this move when. You know things are percolating, and people are starting to get nervous. like what what exactly what would you be looking at for that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's there's a lot of things, right? but uh, right. but to, to cut, just to name a couple you know that that we're watchful of is when ball starts going up and that's ah that's a generally a good good indicator when ball kind of uh, a like stabilizes at a higher uh, level uh, and, and you continue to rally. Uh, generally, that that's a good sign. Uh, it's a good sign for a couple of reasons. One, because you know the effects that I talk so much about these mana charm effects that are very supportive, um, they reach up. They they are no longer able to uh, be a supportive effect when a ball kind of hits a floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, um, it's important because uh, if it reaches a floor and people start buying, uh, you know, this ball, particularly upside ball, into an upside move dealers start getting short. And when dealers themselves start getting short, that means, uh, you know, now there's a, a, a t- there are even more people that need to come in and buy all. Uh, there's less uh, less supply of it available. So it can really unpin the market. Um, so really this dealer positioning part, really understanding where dealers are positioned, uh, what that looks like, um, uh, you know, is, is a critical piece to, to tidying short-term. Uh, outside of that, there are, you know, Ball positioning is not all the positioning, right? Understanding uh, what positioning looks like in other pieces of the market that might be more vulnerable on a macro level, and then obviously you can never lose sight of this. Is all all of us positioning is liquidity on a short time time scale, and then the biggest is obviously liquidity coming from the top. So if you really look at things, uh, you know when I say the top, I mean the Fed, the Treasury, uh, etc. So we're really looking uh, top down and then bottom up. Um, if you look at, you can, you know, in basic terms, take a look at the daily buying and selling volume across markets and really kind of try and quantify and break that up into all the different participants and where it's coming from. It's not an easy task, but you can uh, definitely wave your hands at it and get a better sense of when, when environments are better or worse. Uh, you have a lot of quantitative strategies you can get quite precise with, you know, Trend following uh, risk parity, ball targeting, mm-hmm. all these other quantitative strategies, you can more or less uh, measure what those flows are like. And again, these bottom charm flows that I talk so much about that come from the risk um, premium space. Um, but then there's, there's the simple kind of other effects that are, you know, the spend, uh, you know, whether it's kind of reverse repo or, or QT, QE, uh, and how much those are adding or subtracting over time, time basis, and what that also means, what earnings mean to buybacks, and measuring those as well. So you start putting all these together, and you can start to see what things start to get a bit of imbalance. A lot of this stuff is slower moving, um, uh, you know, on the on the bigger kind of slower, uh, you know, fundamental side. But you pair those, then uh, that slower moving liquidity piece with the, the shorter moving positioning piece, and and you can start to get a, an idea of when the window opens.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a question for you guys about how much volatility we've seen during these data points. We know how much the Fed is dependent on watching the data, right? But these moves, I got to tell you, they've just become untradeable for me as a futures trader. I'm just curious, what does that look like, you know, as we got CPI coming up and some of these big data points? Um, what does that look like from the option side? What kind of activity are you guys seeing when we have 100-point S&P moves, um, you know, in minutes? It just seems... To me that uh, you know we've talked about liquidity but you know i could easily step out uh, as a future trader because i'm always trading flat right so i'm long or i'm short but when you're in options i can't imagine what that's got to be like to look at a screen when you have these options positions on on a cpi i'm just curious from your perspective um what's that like these days um
1: well you know what in reality uh, um what, what jim was speaking of uh, of the environment this year is um you know, what's been working is 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 gamma um and Vega is not working. So in reality, you know, these guys are getting more like gamma-rich um options where the movement is 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 it's terrific for them, you know. Um and uh and the wings stay where they are, even as the underlying is ripping around a hundred you know, handles. So in reality, like that's kind of been—I don't know if I'm right here—that's kind of been the play. So this is this is not necessarily what, what would normally be mental torture for an auction player. It's this is actually—they're going with this right now. They're they're playing this movement and right basically. I think yeah, hundred percent.
2: So forty-four percent of Q4 training volume, uh, give or take a percent. I forget what the exact number was. I think that's forty-four. Uh, percent of the volume was in zero days to expiration. options. That's a crazy number. Um, so uh, people are uh, are speculating uh, on on gamma. They want want the leverage on real lines ball. Um, and why is that? Because it's worked. Um, because that's what is working. As I mentioned this year, and most people don't understand why, and kind of confusing to people even when I try and explain it. But the, the, the implied vol or the Vega hasn't worked this year because people were broadly hedged and broad, broadly hedged in more traditional ways, which is downside puts um, on indexes, a uh, month out, two months out, whatever. And that stuff hasn't performed. And uh, so everybody's thrown in the towel on, on hedging the traditional way. It just doesn't, you know, their minds will. I held all these puts, like, and then the market went down and I got hurt then too. Why the hell would I ever own puts, right? That's the mentality. Um, but what has worked is funds just going out there and, you know, speculating on on leverage short bets before the event, et cetera, and getting the realized move and not having the exposure to any decline ball or vague. So, um, uh, you know, there, these funds have grown. They're doing more. And then ironically, is what we talked about dealing a position, the more they're doing that, they're putting... Uh, dealers in short gamma positions. So you get much more short-term fast moves, but then it's not really an inside ball reaction because by then you've moved away from these options. They no longer really have uh, uh, Vega uh, or or any real relevance to to the to, to what Vega is going to do in 30 days or 60 days. And then the next day starts again. So there's a big, you know, a bit of a change to market structure um, as a function of that. Now, ironically, you know these things again. Uh, people crowd in, and then it doesn't work, and then people crowd out. Uh, so now everybody's crowding into these because they're working. Yeah, it was a great play if you chose to do that early in the year, given how you understood that people were hedged more in the indexes, not uh, you know, on the realized volume on the skew side, as opposed to kind of the gamma intensive option. But now that's forty-four percent of volume. Maybe it's not. Uh, maybe it's not the best hedge, right? I can tell you a bunch of environments in my 25 years where the realized vol has not been that high, and, and that vega hasn't has exploded higher. Uh, it's illogical, maybe to to some your average person, but but so is I've blown,
1: I've blown out that way. I've yeah, blown. it happens.
2: Yeah. So that would be a logical next thing to occur, right? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, people are no longer hedging in the 30 day plus. Uh, and balls getting low, and then all of a sudden that starts to explode. But then you're not really getting a realized move. These people yeah. are burn, getting, you know, burning their daily options, but the Vega is going higher, and then people have to chase that. So, um, I, listen. I mean, in that, in that environment, you can't either, even like the, you know, and the, I, uh, thing to do. yeah, go ahead. Sorry,
1: I was going to say, in that environment, you can't even throw like a hail mary in, in uh, with a futures position to save your ass because you're right. chopping. You know, like correct, that's the worst.
2: And there's no hedge for Vega other than Vega, right? Like, just
0: right. I'm curious, with the amount of added expirations, how much has that changed your guys' decision making when you're going out there trading ball now? Because we have so many expirations, I can't even keep up with them, right? You talked about how 44% of the volume has moved into these such super short term ones. I think you've already touched on it already a little bit, but I'm just curious, how much does that change um, your mindset? Um, and, and how you guys are approaching your trading?
2: Yeah, I'll dive in. So I kind of alluded to at the top of the show that like options are, you know, they're not an asset class. Uh, they are like the asset class. They're the underlying distribution. Um, when you have an underlying distribution, but you only have, a, you know, one, one thing you can bet on every quarter, which is what it used to be when I started with like strikes every 5% or whatever, which is like, you know, when we started, um, you know, and you go to a much more clean distribution where you can bet on all these different outcomes. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I kind of think as options as a technology, not as, as a, product. it's a superior technology It didn't have the liquidity. It's just a superior way to bet on outcomes. It didn't have the liquidity. So people were afraid of it. They didn't, they, they didn't participate as much, um, their, their knowledge and the, and the infrastructure that needed to be there, the access wasn't there for forever, but all those things are happening right? You're getting more access via more platforms. Um, you're getting more expirations, you're getting more strikes, you're going from uh, uh, you know 100 multipliers to micros to nanos available. Um, so you have this infrastructure that's growing, which is creating network effects, which is bringing more volume, which is be getting more participants, which is be getting more education, more participation. And so it's, a, it's an area that, you know, we've seen these volumes explode and a lot of people are like, oh, that's just, people are getting money, uh, you know, these guys at home, are getting money and betting, yoloing stuff, they're going crazy. I, I have a, there's some of that, that's very true, but that also reflexively has created more momentum in the space, more volume, and I really think we're hitting a, a tipping point in the sense that people have learned enough, there are enough platforms, there's enough um, technology and infrastructure uh, that, that we're really seeing a, a secular uh, explosion involved in participation. dissipation. And there's... There's about you know five hundred billion to a trillion dollars in in, in in participation in these structured products and, and options trading at large, and what's otherwise a four hundred and fifty trillion dollar uh, long asset world? Now, what a ten percent of that you know, starts trying to be you know expressed in options. Um, so, so my my view is is that uh, you know those nanos or those uh, daily expirations or whatever they are, those are those were necessary things that were going to happen eventually. And uh, they haven't, and they changed and made certain things slightly more efficient, but they're actually much better for increasing volume, increasing participation, and allowing more liquidity. I have a question for you. Um, do you think the, um,
1: like the zero DTS and, and, and all these new products it, are these what's causing like these egregious um, prints in this in the put call ratio charts that we're seeing now? Because it, it seems like that's like counterintuitive, it's, you know, they all show like everyone's massively hedged, but you're saying that we, they are, may not be as hedged as, as those are
2: showing. Um, no, kind of, I mean, the, the put call ratios that you're seeing uh, that everybody's talking about are equity put call. I think this is an important distinction. Um, what I'm referring to, uh, when I'm talking about zero, zero percentile skew is index. And that's an important distinction. Um, uh, the index skew is, is is very low relative to history, um, but not true for single stock, particularly in kind of these tech names and these particular names a la Tesla, where, where people are, are really speculating on downside puts. Um, so there's an imbalance, and we actually saw the exact opposite, right? If you think about it, uh, 2020 through 2021, it was call speculation, all these tech and meme names that was causing gamma squeezes and those names. Tarnies. And whereas the index was at the 98th percentile, and people were, ch- were hedged on the index level. So yeah. you know, a bit confusing. I know people want to kind of look, bump it all together and say, okay, put skew is Yeah, direct. I just like, where need to clarify West, are we that? talking about? Um, and, and so, equity put skew, particularly in uh, certain names, a uh, very concentrated set of names, is uh, is going crazy. So you see some volume in those names, um, but you can only hedge as much as you try. You can only hedge certain names, like you know this is what happened with GME and you know AMC and all these names, which seems like a, a generation ago, which was like <laughs> like months ago. But, um, but yeah, that's what happened with all those names. You can't hedge GME or AMC with anything else. Like that's its own complex. And if, if people are along those calls, like it's going to squeeze. Um, yeah, but that doesn't mean the whole market is long calls, right? That the yeah. index is actually quite the opposite. It was in that situation, short call, long put. So that's, that's my explanation.
0: I put in the chat that we're going to start getting to everyone's questions now. and The questions are starting to stack up. Um, but this is a question I'm going to get to, I think, right now because it's really, I think, a part of this current conversation, and I really like it. Will, will you all talk about the lack? Of, wait, is that the right one? No, I clicked on this one. Sorry, got a little ahead of myself. I got them all started out. Like I said, I will get to all of them. Put them in chat. Uh, this is from Frank: Is the zero DTE volume mainly institutional or retail or equal? Because you're seeing, you know, this large amount of volume. I think that's really interesting, you know, is it more retail? Is it, are institutionals trading them? Where's yeah. that volume coming from?
2: So, so I'll go back to my analogy of AMC and, and GME. A lot of studies were done on this and was it institutional or retail and the overwhelming thing came up as the overwhelming majority was institutional. Um, now, to be clear, I know that's counterintuitive kind of based on what we're talking about, right? What people think, it started with retail. And, 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 it, and the cause of the institutional betting was retail. If you have an entity in which you know, as I, and Jimmy can speak to this as a market maker, if you know somebody, it's not just what the volume is, it's, it's, it's what you know about the volume. If you know somebody's coming in and buying something every day, uh, and they have diamond hands, right? They're gonna come in and they don't care. Like they don't, If they're, they're price agnostic. Like I am buying these calls every day. If you're an institution, what are you doing, right? What do you think Citadel's doing? Coming in, they know each morning there's a certain amount of buyers, and they're coming in and they're pushing it. They're out in front of it, buying more than the retailers yeah. and squeezing it higher. And because they have an embedded seller, you know, a buyer that they can sell to. Um, so the answer is it is driven by a, a consistent buyer, which tends to be a uh, not sophisticated buyer, a speculative uh, buyer that has some consistent desire to bet no matter what on a certain outcome, and that you have enough of that, even if it's only 10% and 15% of the volume, but they're there every day, and they're you know what they're going to do. That gives you an edge, and that forces institutional that way, and then, then the whole thing feeds on itself. So, so um, my view is that's what's happening with zero to dt it's, it's starting with a few speculative, speculators, consistent buyers of certain types of things, and that's driving institutional out in front of it.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very important to know. I mean, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, have you, Jimmy, at all been doing any of the zero DTE stuff, um, or do you stay a little bit further out?
1: Um, you know, occasionally. Um, not not you know, I I do trade like the uh, weeklies a lot. You know the um, uh, but you know, and, and a lot of that is 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 hedging uh, different you know positions I might have in the VIX futures or different structures I might have on um I just like the uh you know I just like the function like I like having all these instruments at my disposal I think it's you know like like Jim said it's terrific you know compared to you know 15 20 years ago um so I I just I just take advantage of everything I can that I have in front of me um to mitigate risk and to you know augment my strategies so um, but I don't give it to, I don't like this type of stuff. I don't really, I don't over try to overthink. I don't know. Who, I don't know who's doing it at this point. I'm just one man in front of a computer, you know? Um, you know, so I, I, I don't, I don't try to, I, I, I can't, I can't, like, I don't, I, I know I can't know everything. I don't know who's doing these flows. I know like, you know, that's, that's why, uh, you hire Kai, uh, advisors, right? You know what I mean? For guys that pour over this shit and, and can like spit out these stats to you because it's it is like you know it's they they hit the uh they, they go for the options they set up in the options before they hit the uh the the underlying and before they you know so the the you know the predicted value in all this the flows the the the, the position set up everything is is really amazing I mean you know if you've been following chattham for you know any period of time i you know like I think it was last summer, the, the summer of George call, that was fucking amazing. That was terrific. And, and I had a strategy where I, I, at the time, like I needed it to be the summer of George. So when you kept reiterating the summer, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. But that was a terrific call. And it was, you know, that was a four or five month rally grinding right, you know, from what, like 4,000 to 4,500, you know, like that was perfect. Mm-hmm. And that, that was all option flow analysis, you know, um, and that's so I kind of lean on guys like Jem for that that side of it, because, you know, I, you know, and, and then I, I pulled the trigger on on my side of it. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I could talk for me as, as just a futures trader. I mean, I, I do very little option trading most of the time. If I'm doing options, it's going to be uh, in the stocks that I like. Um, but, you know, knowing what Jem has been putting out. I agree, Jimmy. I mean, I, I was using a lot of what he was saying to understand the environment that we're in because there's no way for someone like me to be able to gauge that and understand it. And right. I, I think, you know, it's, it's so helpful to, to um, have people like that that share that information. So I appreciate that, Jim. And one of the things you mentioned earlier, and I took a note of it, and you said maybe we'll get to it later in the conversation. It was talking about the putting calls and what you're seeing in the tech space right now. Obviously, we're coming off of a year where the NASDAQ got really hammered. We know the tech stocks are totally out of favor now. That's why I actually bought some of my longer-term portfolio at the beginning of this year. But um, I'm just doing that because I like to just, you know, fade everybody when they're just totally throwing them out. But um, what are you seeing in tech this year uh, in the puts and calls? I think referencing back to where you said that maybe we talk about this later in the show.
2: Yeah, no, I think there's an interesting setup happening. And there's a reasoning, uh, you know, contrarian works. Um, and it's, it's really that reflexive kind of things people crowd in, right? And then that leads to flow the other way, right? When people are stuck. So that's why contrarianism actually works and it tends to work well when things get overdone, um, you know, particularly in terms of positioning. It's, it's interesting. That's what we talked about with the you know, with ball this year. And this is why we're broadly talking about this potential market structure ball call. But that's also true on a micro level. Um, on single names and single sectors and understanding what that, what that might mean for rotation. Let me, let me kind of talk to you this a little bit, what we're kind of seeing now. Um, you know, look, if, if the indexes are becoming more on pinned to the downside, and potentially a, a next, you know, kind of big decline could be much more ball-centric. Um, the odds are that uh, the places where the hedges um, are not are the are the ones you know the ones that are crowded are the ones that are going to get the most hurt. Um, this year, the law compression of the indexes, given um, how um, unhedged those tech names were, right? There was all this call speculation. There was no put hedging going on, and a lot of these tech names uh, outweighed. It was more at the index level that caused the tech liquidation, especially given kind of where valuations were and where everything was. But because the indexes were pinned. It forced money to go, in you, know, you can't have the tech sector down 70%, right? And the index is pinned enough where they're only down 19% of the year and not have money flow the arbitrage to somewhere else in the industry. So everything flew. This, is, this was a major tailwind for the kind of the energy sector, commodity sector um, this year. And now everybody has hit, hit you know, hit it in, in that area and gone really, and there's, there's a, to be clear, I'm, I'm a big macro, kind of longer-term commodity bull. I think a lot of people that listen to me know about my inflationary thesis and kind of where I see things going. But I think there's been so much crowding into the commodity sector that if we get this real uh, ball decline, uh, given that now the hedging is all happening on these kind of tech mean names, um, you know, the hedges are there, um, I think you could really see, uh, ironically, a outperformance of large cap tech uh, into this kind of liquidation, at least on a beta basis, relative to some of these kind of other areas that which are crowded and not as well hedged. I think you could see a much more broad-based liquidation, much more correlation going to one dispersion, which has gotten also crowded, also having a really hard time. All the places that are not crowded and the things that have been working in the last year, I really think have a good chance of not working into this uh, sector, you know, this, this next big ball decline. And so um, it's a good way to kind of think about things when, 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 you know, it's good to have these macro thesis and to have a broader trend, knowing when I'm gonna, you're going to buy the dip for a more multi-year move or, or something along those lines. But in the short term, this positioning is so critical. And that's why contrarianism works. And, and, and to your point, I don't know that buying the dip on these tech names is necessarily going to be good if everything goes down. But, I, but I'll tell you relative to some of the other kind of stuff that probably will work relatively well um, and some of the things that people are are over there's out over their skis on um given a more kind of ball centric uh correlation one type with ball liquidation could get much much more hurt
0: um we're gonna start to get to questions here in just a a, a moment um, a couple of people are talking about your mic gem maybe the base is high i mean it sounds good to me i don't know um but as we take just a quick moment, I want to recognize TradeStation as today's sponsor of the podcast. If you're a serious futures trader and you want a powerful platform to match your skills, enjoy flexibility and trading power with TradeStation's uh, award-winning platform. Learn more at tradestation.com Anthony. Um, we've got a ton of questions. We've got just under 15 minutes left. Um, I, mean, I mean, where do I even begin with all these questions? I appreciate everybody putting them in there, and I'm going to try to get to all of them. So as uh, I ask Jimmy and Jem um, some of these questions, just know that we've, we've got a lot of them. Um, so maybe we try to make the time um, a little bit quick on some of these questions. Um, and even if I think they've been asked uh, or uh, addressed early in the show, I like to ask them because we appreciate you guys asking questions. Um, I'm going to go back to some of the earlier ones, and I'm going to start with this question right here. This is from Tillman. I'm not going to say your last name because I'm going to butcher it. So I don't want. I can't. I can't get names right. So, Jem, what are the nuances that separate contributing due to an event, to an event due to reflexivity and preventing it, due to being too well hedged?
2: Um. Could, the, the question is is a bit confusing, but I I, I want to be like, <laughs> yeah. What are the nuances that separate contributing to an event due to reflexivity and preventing it? Okay, so. Uh... Um, you know, look, there's, I'll try to be quick about this, but my general um, input, uh, let's say, uh, that, that's hedging a position can have two types of effects. Uh, it, it, everybody wants to talk in two dimensions. So is it, did it force support of the, of the, uh, of the asset or did it cause uh, it to decline? And the reality is it doesn't either. What it does is it changes the distribution. Um, if there's a put, a uh, put positioning is heavy, in a, um, what it can do, and dealers are short, it can cause a bigger gamma. If you get a big enough decline, it can cause a real liquidation, which increases the, the tail. Um, but if nothing big enough happens based on where things are priced, you should have some consistent buyback of stock against that on a daily basis. That should create more support. And so what it does to the distribution is it creates a more fat tail left distribution that's more like bias. Um, and I think that's the way to kind of think about these things. I think mean, you know, everybody wants to know, hey, give me two dimensions. Is this causing the thing to go up or down? Well, the reality is it's, it's, what it's doing is it's causing support on a daily basis, and as well declines. But it's cause, it will also, into a liquidation, cause a much better tail. Um, so I think, I think you got to look at the, think of it in distributional terms, think about what that position means. Uh, you know four different scenarios and that itself is incredibly valuable easier to predict distribution than it is whether to predict up or down I think that's something uh, we, we try and take advantage of.
1: Do you think like like right now in the current environment where we sit do you think that if, if we keep rallying say the say the SMB rallies up you know and we have an up a nine CPI number um, and we pop over the 200-day and we really start going won't that only embolden people from doing the exact same fucking thing that they're doing right now? Like won't that just create more pressure and more pressure until like you have like a tail convexity you know energy event? like the rally's not necessarily a good thing for that potential for that that outcome, right? Am I Dingo. thinking of just directly?
2: Yeah, 100 yeah, There's a reason these things end in blow-off tops. Even the COVID crash, right, which we knew, we talked about this, right, we knew in January yeah. it ended with a blow-off top. Uh, yeah. We continued to not just sit. We, it's not like we went down slower than expected or went sideways. We rallied. That, that's yeah. how these things end. And what it is is ultimately like a rubber band being stretched, right? It's not like you go up and like, oh, that's bullish. No, that's yeah. actually more dangerous, right? You're creating more potential energy for... A decline and the yeah. skew being as cheap as it is and those strikes moving up you know make those all the more convex and all the more dangerous yeah. uh, and uh and absolutely so the, the, what you're really looking for here is you want that rubber band stretch you know uh, if you're looking for a bump, the more we rally the faster it is the more you see balls starting to come up into that rally that's your yourself that's what you're looking for yeah
0: so just to confirm Jen, when you're saying when you want the rubber band stretch for that potential energy it's because we're in a bear market and when you see this rally higher, it gets people more comfortable. So that, that means that they become less hedged essentially in the options market, which o- ultimately opens up the uh, possibility for that steeper decline. Is that the reasoning? Yeah.
2: I think both, both on a realized ball basis, right? The higher you go, the you know, more gravity further off you are off the ground, the more likely you are to, you know, to fall a long way. Um, that's most basic level, but two, the, the amount of leverage uh, in convex, when you when you have things this cheap, the amount of, uh, you know, if you, you have 2x in decline than you would have had, the amount of leverage that that creates in options that are already too cheap can be explosive and then you could, uh, uh, you know, given how low skew it is, it's again, just 10 that can, can create a much. When I,
1: when I was in the pit, I, I remember like being a young trader and I used to like think it was kind of like that old TV show, um, Remember that game show from our youth called Name That Tune, you know, oh, yeah. and it would get like so stupid, like and 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 guys would make markets in like, you know, whether it was a spread or a, or a vol or whatever, you know, they would just keep going and and, and keep going. Like, I could name that in three tunes. I can name that, you know, until it's like until one asshole says, like, I can name that in one tune, you know, and that's when it like explodes because you're everyone steps away and is like, go ahead, you know, yeah. And and like vol markets are just like that. Like, like people just, they just keep squeezing, no matter how fucking stupid it might be, they keep squeezing and squeezing and going with what works until it's like, kaboom, you know? And unfortunately, especially in a, in a scenario like this, if we rally, it's gonna get more dangerous, but it's not gonna feel more dangerous. And you can't really see, like not a lot of people have skew on their radar, you know? So it's going to come out of nowhere. It's going to be blamed on something else, but we're going to know what really, you know, what, it, what would happen.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, like I said, a bunch of questions here. I mean, one question that we keep getting throughout the conversation today is everyone's asking, you know, how are options positioned going into CPI? What are your thoughts tomorrow if CPI is higher or lower than expected? What may, What is something maybe we see uh, hit the tape uh, in the options market?
2: Yeah, I mean it's. Um, I will say ball is is quite a bit cheaper than it's been uh, for this CPI. Um, there's a couple of different things interacting uh, as we go into this number. Um, so one ball has been very well supplied in this early January period. That's structural. It's because it's after the year and and the uh, you know, holiday ball was cheap. And, you know, decent general was banned, people able to own cheaper things behind it, et cetera. So people have decayed longer <laughs> and longer, ball and ball has broadly uh, been compressed as such. Um, that that has led to, uh, to broad support in this window. Uh, you know, as we talked about, particularly as we head into what's closer, you know, these, these periods where the bar and charm flows are stronger. Uh, January OPEX in particular is important this year because January. Whereas December expiration is the big expiration on the in, uh, on the index side, January OPEX is the big annual expiration on the equity single name side. And that's where all the put um, put demand has been focused, as we mentioned. Um, so there's a lot of kind of bond charm, kind of supportive flows that are sitting here underneath the market for the next week and a half, really waiting to come in. Um, and as an event, vault for the CPI comes down, we should see a positive, naturally positive uh, kind of set of flows here. Now, the CPI number matters. Um, I think there's macro trends would say it's more likely for this being not to be uh, really hot. Uh, that doesn't mean it's gonna come in um, low, but if you get a neutral kind of CPI, um, I think on, on balance, this market should continue to grind higher at this window into um, kind of the Wednesday of OPEX. Obviously, an ugly hot CPI. Again, I, I can't. You know, that's not what, what my strength necessarily is—is is predicting what, what each month's CPI is. Um, but, but for the most part, I think the odds of a really hot CPI are low, and so that also kind of helps, uh, kind of uh, you know, on balance. But ball-wise, uh, you know, the, the ball is getting to a point where, if anything, ball will, will likely come up on the longer dated calls into a rally. Uh, and, and the event ball itself, uh, you know, will force some shorter-term ball compression. Um, but, uh, you yeah. know, this is a perfect setup for a grind higher as long mm-hmm. as we look at nasty CPI. Now, a nasty CPI can catch, you know, this is, again, we're modeling distribution. That, that tail that we said is sitting out there, right, um, with a bad enough number, uh, you know, could, could get interesting. But, but on balance, I, you know, we're, the flows are pretty supportive. Jimmy, what
0: are you seeing?
1: um you know i i you know i i don't know about the option market, but i know about, i'm just looking at the technicals of, of just the outright um and um i mean it seems it seems pretty supportive um i look also i'm looking at the euro dollar curve right now that thing's come up quite a bit i know everyone is bitching about the back of the curve being you know um mispriced um but you know, like a lot uh, like Jim often says, a lot of, of positioning is, is, is just supply and demand. It doesn't necessarily mean that the market thinks the Fed is going to do this, that, or the other. It could just be positioning, you know? I mean, I traded Euro dollars for 10 years. And most of the time when they went on, went off into a tangent that no one could explain, it was because, you know, we all had it on the wrong way and we were all thinking logically. And someone, you know, came along and squeezed us or, you know, so um, I kind of, I, tomorrow, you know, I basically feel like, you know, the same way I, do, I feel like this, this number should probably keep trending lower or at least come in steady. Um, technically, we're looking like we're looking pretty decent right now. You know, we look like we're, we want to go up and uh, take a run at that 4, 000, between 4,000 and 4,100. There's a lot of resistance up there. So really, you know, when I look at numbers like this, I don't really give a shit what they are going into them. I give a shit about the the the, the reaction of the market afterwards. I look for the trade after the trade. You know, I don't look, I don't look for the the trade. You know, going into it with an opinion because yeah. who gives a fuck what I think, really? You know,
0: <laughs> I know we you and I will we that's, that's exactly how we look at it because, like I was saying earlier, you, first of all, as a futures trader, I never go into these things with positions, and afterwards. Um, my one buddy, that whom you know, Brad Gelnick, um, mm-hmm. you know, he taught me. He's like, Anthony, you got to look for stupid news. Is the news is the market stupid reacting to this news? And maybe there's an opportunity for me there. Right. And, and maybe something you know gets thrown my way because the market moved away out of sync, and I think it's an overreaction. I mean, that's ultimately the only way I can play these numbers these days. Uh, back to the questions. Um, like I said, we're probably not going to get to all of them. I apologize, everybody, but um, we've got a few minutes left and. Um, I like this question from hyperconvexity, Uh question for Jem. how should we think about customers decaying longer vol at lower prices on a high level? What are the mechanics and outcomes when this happens? Thanks.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a reflexive loop here. Uh, when I talk about Vana and charm, I always talk about them together, right? Uh, uh, the reality is what is Vana Vana is per, Percent move in vol, the amount of delta, you know, change in delta of an option. So, because there's equity skew, as op- time pa- as vol comes down, right, uh, and dealers are short put, they have to buy back stock, and that's the that bond effect we talk about. But uh, the more time passes, right, that's charm. The of time that pa- as time passes, the amount of deltas that need to be bought back against that positioning is the other piece. Those two work together. As time passes, there's supportive buyback as the uh, OPEX cycles, where there's a lot of there's a lot of buyback, which reduces volatility, because there's an underlying flow that's supporting volatility. And then that leads to more buyback, which leads to more ball compression, which leads to this whole circle. Um, and ironically, these big OPEXs where dealers are short, they generally have to hedge that convexity somewhere. So they're generally longer ball somewhere behind it, or somewhere underneath it where they can uh, you know, decay. And even if they're not decaying longer, they're decaying less short because their option positions are decaying away. And that decaying longer fall post these, uh, these periods where, where there's lots of bulk compression, lots of flows, ultimately leads to more selling of fall um, itself. So the way they interact is it's a loop. Uh, now, that's, this keeps on going until it kind of hits some bottom, some nadir. And and the positioning, uh, you know, and you're in some window where there's not a lot of uh, charm flows that are supported, and that kind of happens, and then everything kind of um, has the ability to to kind of go higher from there. But the, the piece where like post a major um, kind of opex or event or a place where mall is high and skew has been and dealers are short put and short stock uh, behind those, a major effect is that people just decay longer than ball. At the bottom of March COVID crash, that would be a great example, right? March was the, the place everybody was short. Uh, so dealers were short put, of, you know, uh, there, was a, there was a ton of short put activity. Uh, dealers are short stock. As soon as that expired, everybody all of a sudden decayed longer vol. There was like this big cyber of relief. Ooh, we're not short vol anymore. Uh, and put and, their long vol line at 80 vol. I wonder what, what happened. You know, the vol just went to 25 in a hurry, and the, you got a V type bottom. Right? a massive vaunt of charms while well it's all the way back up. So, um, you know, this is how these things interact. It's a loop. It's a cycle. It, it, it kind of feeds on itself until uh, it reaches a point where it's just gone too far. And then the window is right, uh, you know, and, and some news comes out to kind of spur uh, events. And then, uh, you know, we're not uh, just kind of uh, it consolidates like we saw in this recent time, right? Where it doesn't necessarily have that flow to push up and vol to and, and compress. It just kind of consolidates, and then it prepares for the next march higher. And that's also why those kind of consolidations are generally healthy. These are these are things that like, people understand and look at with te- technical. But there's an underlying mechanism that works that are kind of, kind of causing yeah. that price action.
1: I've had some of my worst days uh, after I said, "Ah, oh, thank God, I'm not a short vol anymore." You know? <laughs> And it was like uh, three weeks of torture, uh, you know, like they never,
2: yeah, well, I well think once the next you get out of a situation. That way, so.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> when ball's cheap, it's cheap for a reason. I think we all know. Exactly.
1: Like, That's yeah. the best time to sell it, right? When it's cheap, because it just keeps grinding lower. People always do it the, the, the opposite way and screw themselves, but, uh, you know. Cheap yeah, ball it's gets counterintuitive. Cheap. But yeah,
2: right. the, you know, the cheap ball pits the market, which causes more ball compression, which causes mm-hmm. more monetary flows, which causes mm-hmm. more ball compression. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: right. Right. So I'm a little bit of a historian when it comes to like looking when markets make highs or lows. And what I find very interesting is, and I just want to see what you guys think about this, right? When I look at charts, I always look to see what months are making highs, what months are making lows. You go back to the dot com bubble, high was made in March. Right. You go to that COVID low you talked about, Jeb, March. You go to the global financial crisis, March. Um, why do you think that is? I mean, I'm, I'm curious, is there something important in the options markets that makes March in a very important month? Because historically, some of these key moments in time, when you go back and look at them, they seem to happen highs in, or lows in March. And I'm not predicting that that's what's gonna happen this year potentially, but it is a month that I always look at every year as a potential high or low uh, for the year. Uh, just because of what I've seen historically.
2: Uh, yes. Uh, it's less because of Feb or March uh, themselves, and it's more because of it coming after uh, no-deece jam and, uh, you know, and before kind of that spring. There's this transition period post-end-of-the-year beginning. End-of-the-year end beginning of the year is incredibly powerful um, people call it seasonality, they think it's magic. Uh, they'll you know just connect the dots on the calendar. Uh, the, the reality is, um, there is less actual trading time, um, in November, except for significantly less than either other time of the year. Um, on a volume-laden basis, there's dramatically less, right? People, you know, yes, you have days that are open, that are, where people aren't trading, not, uh, they you know, they're eating. Thanksgiving dinner with their family, or uh, Passover Seder, or Christmas dinner, or whatever, right, um, and taking time. Um, and so during that kind of holiday season, um, there's a natural Vana charm effect. Uh, on top of that, uh, you have uh, important other, from my ball perspective, I think those things are very important. Um, on top of that, you have the important seasonal effect that usually happens in most homes most years, which are up years, or even kind of neutral years, where you have a massive reinvestment of capital that happens at the beginning of the year, that massive reinvestment, and put it in context, the average kind of daily incremental volume of these markets is somewhere around $75 uh, billion dollars around the total uh, U.S. equity markets about 40 trillion international equities, about 80 trillion total world long assets, 450 trillion. You know, it's a very small amount that needs markets. If assets re- revalue 10% higher on, on a $450 trillion long asset world, that's $45 trillion that needs to go to work in the context of $75 billion of daily volume moving markets. So um, yeah, not all that goes to work on Jan 1, right? It's co- incrementally being invested all year long. It's such a massive amount of money that that has real structural positive flow effects. And, and so end of the year, beginning of the year, for that reason, uh, tend to have major was at the end of this year, we saw the opposite because the market was down. Now that's what you know we we importantly called at the end of December We said, "Look, uh, if you're looking for Santa Claus, you're looking the wrong way because Santa Claus is driven by all that money and money coming from the sky." And that was actually going the other way. So that's a big reason why it was uh, broadly weak and this market was consolidating under what's otherwise a structurally positive set of flows. Uh, end of December, early January was was therefore weak, and it's what we called for, and and this is why you kind of. Expect the resumption of the more positive flows now as we get in January. So these things are very important. They're very, uh, they're, they're normally years. They are very, very positive. This the most positive month of the year, not even close. On a on a four week basis, is uh, you know expiration to Jan expiration, uh, Santa Claus rally into the January effect. That's the reasons for it. It's both this effect paired with that massive reinvestment, all uh, paired with Chase and everything else that happens at the end of the year. That period leads to uh, vol compression into January, January, I'm uh, sorry, the January, February, sorry, February expiration, I apologize. Uh, why? Because all of that vol, that uh, ended year vol, uh, people were shortly, they they, are, they came long in Feb. This is what we saw during the COVID crash, right? Everybody was hedged in the Feb OPEX because it was super cheap and, and they could hold it against anything else and it compressed everything behind it. Um, and then you know, things kind of in February, generally is when that stuff starts to uh, turn the other way. So Feb, into March, he's generally a very, very dangerous period or kind of a period where things can really turn in a, in a meaningful way. Um, uh, so I, that's that's my broad cut read on, on why that, that period matters so much historically. But uh, but we could probably dive a little deeper.
0: It's super interesting to me. You know, I looked at the chart and I'm like, man, why does this always happen on March? I really appreciate that explanation. Uh, Jimmy, we're not going to get to all the questions today. I'm going to kind of leave it to you. Uh, maybe we end. Uh, on this note i'll leave to actually both of you guys if there's any final things you want to stay say uh we'll start with you jimmy i
1: i have a uh, question um that was given um what's what's the, were you on the uh cme floor or the cboe which, which,
2: CBOE. which
1: cboe yeah did someone drink horse <laughs> semen on the floor um, <laughs> Uh, As a
2: I, I I refuse to name the names. You know, we we have to pr- protect the innocent. Uh, you know, I, first and foremost, so so these things can continue to happen.
0: Uh, I don't want to. You know, <laughs> I missed this question.
2: There is a, 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 a brotherhood on the floor, which is you know you don't. That's just things off the book. But yes, yeah. there was uh, a one young man who, and I hope he got paid. Of bunch you know, of that's
1: drink, a commitment. Drank but...
2: a. a very large uh sample of deer seed Yes. Oh, yes okay. oh,
0: that tops anything i can think of at cme to me that's like you know uh, you just... know i
1: don't i I, always, I saw people eat volume or tr- you know like stuff that was hot you know but like you know that's that's i mean cool. it,
2: the pay the paycheck was was not small you get you get 400 yeah. market makers together and and you know the prospect oh, getting... pressures can you know and people well, they're priced <laughs> ten grand doing
1: that. You know what I mean? It's, he made you tens of grand,
2: I don't. I forget what the number was. I don't know if it was twenty or fifty, but there was a a large sum of money involved. Yeah, yeah. You're getting paid for something like that. Uh, I
0: mean, That's my funny. funniest story when I think about the trading floor. There's several of them, but was when Elena came and cracked Gino and punched him in the face. And this is right. And and we we had at the time we had just added the cameras onto the floor, and the only reason you could go into the camera room was be able to see an out trade, potentially, right? Yeah. And so, this beautiful girl, Elena, got in an argument with this guy, and she just came up to him, she dragged him and cracked him. And it was like, <laughs> and everyone's like, we gotta see it. There was a line, there was a hundred people, there was there was probably not one single out trade, but every single person was going in there. I remember we were getting in there, we're going, playing it back, playing it back, playing it back. <laughs>
1: Plus, you get the play-by-play. I, you guys, it was unbelievable. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that was
0: great. I know. Then they <laughs> actually had had the me. guys had to come down and go. Okay, we got to get you guys out of here. This is it. You know, we're done. But uh,
2: there's nothing like it, guys. You know, if you haven't, there's no way to describe it unless you've been uh, you know, there, there.
0: There isn't. I, there, there's it. a
2: whole language. Everybody, you we know, had 300 guys. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's it's locker room. You know,
1: I, I saw to the tenth order was yes. a there was a, uh, there was a, a woman uh, trader on the, on the floor and her badge was pop pup and she i saw a guy like come out of the pit all excited he had made a winning trade he's all like you know jacked up and he's about to run off the floor and god knows do what you know and pup is over at the uh, um drink uh, drinking fountain and she's bent over drinking and he gets on all fours, crawls over to her and bites her on the ass and then gets up and runs off the floor. The guy ends up getting like a six-month suspension, like a quarter million dollar fine, you know, and he came back in and he's like, it was worth it. It was worth it. Absolutely, it was worth it. But I mean, you know, when I, when I describe like scenes like that to people, I'm like, that shit like happened where I worked. You know what I mean? Like I had to go back and work the rest of the day after seeing that. Like that's, oh, you know. But the scenes, yeah. you know, like the shit.
2: No, is I mean, we can do a, a 12 hour kind of stories, <laughs> right. t- th- stories from the floor. We probably should at some point.
0: I think we should. I think, guys, I, I can't I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. You guys are two of my favorites. Um, it was such a pleasure to have the two of you together. Great to be here. Man. I, I heard so much. Uh, Jimmy Thank and I have you. had a lot of our conversations over the years. He's helped me tremendously. And, Jim, it's, it's, it's great to finally get a chance to meet with you and speak. Uh, with you been following you for for a long time on twitter love your work i think you're the, the number one person to follow when it comes to learning about options uh, if you want to be sure. a professional in this business i think you're fantastic um, so i appreciate the two of you guys we've got so many questions we had so many people to participate today i think we got to do a two part of this i'll reach out to you guys maybe we do something later uh middle of the year towards the end of the year um but like i said i appreciate you guys make sure you guys follow uh Gem. Uh, at jam underscore croissant uh, on twitter and at jimmy jude 13 on twitter and make sure you go to check out kai volatility i'm sure that link is in uh, jam's uh, uh, twitter and like i said everybody to all of you that participated today with the comments and the questions i can't thank you guys enough i appreciate you guys wish you guys all the best for the rest of the trading year jimmy Jim and Jeb, man. You guys killed it. You guys are awesome, man. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for it. Always,
2: always a pleasure, guys. I really enjoyed it. Look forward to part two. Let's do it.
0: Right on. All right, everybody. I'll see you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Take care,
2: guys. All right.
0: Thank you for listening to Future's Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications. And for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on AnthonyCrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests. And they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Future's Radio Show is produced by Crudelli Productions.